The Pat Kenny Show with Matter Private Network on News Talk. The Irish prison system, is it fit for purpose? It's a question that we're going to put now to Mick Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner and co-author of Unlocked, an Irish prison officer's story, and to John Lonergan, the former governor of Mountjoy Prison. And we're also going to talk to journalist Philip O'Connor, who's based in Sweden, about the much-touted prison system there, how it works, and is it better than what we have uh, to offer. Good morning and welcome to you both. Um, Mick, where does your particular interest in the prison service come from? I suppose Pat, it comes from covering it in various aspects I have done over the last at least five years or so. I've always had an interest in the whole area and um, that developed in the last number of years and as you say I've recently written a book with David MacDonald. Um, there, there, there are a couple of things that jump out for me in terms of the culture that would seem to be there Pat and this is a, as I say someone coming into it at a later stage than for example like John there who obviously spent his working life in it but a couple of things that would occur to me one is the culture that is there strikes me as, as being one in which the overriding concern at the top of the Irish prison service is that there be no controversy because controversy as far as the body politic and the Department of Justice is concerned is the last thing they want because nothing positive can come out of it. Now, just to make a brief comparison, uh, the department and, and the body politic are very concerned with Garda matters because the Garda interact with the public and they have a very close relationship with the public in protecting them etc and all of that that is not the case with the prisons and therefore i sense that the concern about the prisons is not that everything is being run in the most efficient the most humane the best way but rather that it is being run in such a way that will not cause any embarrassment one other element to that kind of culture that strikes me and this is particularly so i think in latter years and that is those at the top of the management in the ips virtually none of them have experience of working in prisons and working their way up as one might expect for example again talking about the gardi in other words Take an example, that up, up in Phoenix Park in the Gardaí, you had a Garda commissioner that was an accountant and his assistant commissioners were people who worked in administration one form or another in the public service. That is the kind of scene that you have in the prison service and I can't think that I've come across anybody who suggests it's a positive one or one mm. that will ensure that the, the, the best way things are being operated okay. is now, uh, in place. Sir. Now, just explain to me when you say the prison service, are we talking about the officials uh, who have overarching uh, responsibility for the prison service but are not practitioners? Because, you know, J- John who, Lonergan, former governor of Mount Joy, is definitely, very definitely a practitioner. Um, so at what level are you talking about the, the bureaucracy? Sorry, yeah, to, to clarify that, I'm not talking about governors at all. Quite the opposite. It's people like John, I, I would suggest, should have far more influence in the management. I'm talking about Irish prison service at management level. They're based in Longford. It's the overarching body that looks after the prison service. And they're beneath that, so to speak, in the management structure are the individual prisoners, are the individual prisons over which governors have control. As far as I can see, the input from those governors, who quite obviously know prisons inside out, is far less than it should be in dictating the general management direction 
at mm-hmm. the top management level within the service. Now, John, you were 42 years in the prison service. Uh, I believe you started in Limerick way back when. Uh, 22 years governor of Mountjoy in total. So you know the prison service inside out. Um, did you have that difficulty in trying to get what you needed? Yeah, Pat, yeah. Um uh, I suppose I lived through, uh, and worked through a huge amount of change. Um, just going back quickly to what Mick was saying, we went through phases and periods of time when the whole uh, energy was put into public relations. And uh, you know yourself from a previous uh, job with RT, uh, you were regularly in Mountjoy and in other prisons and, and broadcasting and opening, openness and involving the public and the media in the prison service was, um, was, was uh, you know, almost a priority for a period of time and then the cycle changed again and went back to the days of the you know out of sight out of mind and that's the way it goes it operates in phases at one time it's a very popular thing to be all open and have openness about prisons and the next period of time it's all the opposite and I'm afraid we're in a period of that uh, well, now, no, in, 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 in fairness again. John in, since I've come to News Talk I've been to Cork Prison for the just before the new prison opened I was in the old prison just before it closed I've been in Lock and House uh, I've been in Mount Joy in the last couple of years as well. Um, so <laughs> there's still a welcome for me in jail. Oh, yeah, um, I, 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 obviously the, it changes. And, and, and the point I'm making is that it, it's really about um, possibly experience. Um, the prison service would never be a high priority with any minister for justice. I never met one anyway, and I'm not aware of any minister for justice that would ever have the prison service as a top priority. Uh, matter of fact, it's hardly on the agenda at all, except, as Mick said, unless there are some uh, issues that are embarrassing, and that's why they, they, they try to keep the, any embarrassment as, as much you know, as they can, embarrassment from the top. The reality is that we went through Whitaker in 1985, the Whitaker Commission, as it became known, an inquiry into the prison service. They strongly recommended at that time uh, that there would be a certain independence established between the operation side of prisons and uh, the main Department of Justice, and that never took place, even though we have a prison service set up. It, it's not independent, and it's uh, still totally accountable to yeah. the Department now, of Justice. Now, John, That's the way it operates. I suppose there's a better opportunity nowadays for, for practitioners as limited as it is uh, to be involved in some degree at headquarters than it was in my time. But, um, but overall, the, the, the reality is that the prison service is, has a low uh, political priority and will always remain that way, um, I, I think, because there's no, I, uh, I guess there's no votes to be got out of prisons except losing them uh, in, in terms of if crime is in the agenda. You, you usually, it's usually an unpopular subject, crime. And the only way to exploit it politically would be to build more prisons and to be hard on crime. So all the soft side of crime and trying to resolve the issues around how to run prisons and how to make the best uh, opportunities for prisoners, for instance, in prison would never be popular. And I'm afraid will never be popular politically. Yeah. Uh, one of the issues you get from time to time, oh, they have uh, Sky Sports in prison, da, 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 da. And the, the fundamental thing about a prison sentence is not to deny you of all your, uh, you know, recreations and human rights it's to deprive you of your liberty which prison effectively does you know you are told when to go to bed you're told when the lights go out you're told when to get up in the morning you're told how much exercise you can have and where it happens that's what the sentence is supposed to be and hopefully a bit of education and rehabilitation along the way that yeah, is but, 
Pat, yeah. yeah, fundamentally, as you know from, from seeing it at first hand yourself, fundamentally prison is all about punishment. And uh, while, again, people often want to put a bit of a, you know, a bit of a slant on it or, or a bit of sugar coating on it, the reality is that prison is a punishment and being sent to prison uh, physically and emotionally, psychologically, mentally, it's all punishment orientated and driven. And I think on top of that, uh, over the last 15, 20 years, into, uh, physical conditions have certainly improved. So, you know, and it's very important to record that, that the physical conditions, for instance, slopping out is almost non-existent now in prison which is a very positive thing and the buildings themselves the, all the, the, personally the new buildings the physical structure of them is certainly a big improvement on the old prisons like the old Mount Joy that I worked in. Of course the, the negative side of the extra facilities is that there's doubling up is quite widespread in prisons nowadays and about 50% of the prison population have to share cells and, bil- and cells are yeah. actually constructed to facilitate doubling and tripling yeah. up. Just to give the, the, very, very backward the, the, the stats at 36 people in prison as of January of this year we're still slopping out and also as of January uh, 1,694 that's 45% of the prison population were required to use the toilet in the presence of another prisoner so it's not exactly five star not, and, and just so that's only one part of doubling up, I'd say, Pat. I'd, I'd, I'd say the mental uh, and psychological consequences, the mental uh, uh, damage uh, in, in, in having to share a very small space 24-7 with somebody, sometimes a person you don't know, sometimes the person could be anything but a nice person to get on with. Uh, so you could have widespread bullying and, uh, of course, drugs is, is certainly facilitated by uh, doubling up. And, uh, and, and so to have that uh, psychological and mental pressure uh, it certainly increases the punishment element of prison. Mm. I want to read a, a text for you, uh, Mick. This is from Liam. When people receive a sentence, they do not morph into quiet, decent people. If they were violent and dangerous on the streets, then they will be the same in prison, but in larger, concentrated groups. School and courses will not change them in any way, and anyone claiming otherwise is delusional or deceitful. I can name only two in 15 years that have genuinely made an effort to change, and I've met thousands. The real issue in prison is that it has taken the place of psychiatric institutions but with no resources or training for staff. That's from Liam. Mick, that is a concern that there are people behind bars uh, who should really be in a different kind of institution. Absolutely no question. Pat, I think research has shown, even recent research, we're talking about at least over a third of prisoners in Irish prisons have some form of a mental health uh, condition. Um, anybody who's working in the service now at any kind of a managerial level within prisons will tell you uh, stories about uh, constantly being on to the central mental hospital, trying to have somebody transferred there. No fault of the hospitals, but there just simply is not beds. To that extent, prisons are being used as a dumping ground for people whose primary issue is, is a mental health condition rather than any propensity to commit violent crime. And look, there's also no doubt there are a number of people who possibly are beyond rehabilitation for various reasons, often going back to how they were brought up, etc. But for the sake of society, society has to be protected from them. But I would suggest they constitute a very small number of the people who are behind bars. I mean, there, there, there's definitely issues around the suitability of imprisoning people. In the first instance, as I say, those who have mental health conditions. And in the second instance, whether or not 
prison and the way it's constituted in this country is the most appropriate mm. setting for people who've committed those kind of crimes. Now, now John, um, most people who are committed to prison uh, state that they are unemployed and that they have no trade or skill. Um, I remember you famously telling me that uh, if you looked at the address of some of the kids knocking around the place, you could predict whether they were likely to be end up in prison or not. That geography, social class deprivation was a great predictor of their ultimate fate. Yeah, absolutely, Pat. Uh, no question about that. Um, uh, certain areas, uh, urban areas in particular, in all the bigger cities, Cork, uh, Limerick, uh, Galway, um, uh, Waterford, any of the bigger towns or cities you could predict uh, to a large degree. I mean, the vast numbers of people still come from those deprived areas. Uh, the level of violence and crime, out, uh, especially with the, with the, uh, with, uh, in the area of drugs, and in that drug field has certainly increased over the years. I don't I don't agree at all, though, by with that statement that uh, it is wasting your time trying to uh, help people. Um, uh, my belief is that uh, I've, I've seen myself uh, very hardened, dangerous criminals in their early 20s, for instance. And by the time they reached their mid 30s and, and from then onwards, they were changed people. And I admit I meet them regularly. I still on the streets of Dublin and Cork and Limerick when I'm when I'm in those areas and meet people who haven't been in prison for 20, 25 years by and large. Uh, the people who frequent prison are in their late teens and, and throughout their 20s. They're, it's a young uh, profession in inverted commas, if you like to call that. And I, be, I do believe that people do mature with age uh, with, and live, uh, with life experience. And if the right supports and encouragements are in put in place for them to give them an alternative to criminality, well, certainly I know that quite a number of them will certainly go that road if they give, have given the proper support. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to understand that many of them grow up in environments where criminality and drugs is an industry, almost a respected industry for them. So you're talking about breaking a life, life cycles and, and, a, and a powerful culture that has huge influence on young, immature men, uh, because the vast numbers of people in prison are men. So I do believe that, uh, you know, just going back to the psychiatric issues, um, it's important always to give credit to Professor Harry Kennedy and the Central Mental Hospital, because he, ha- he brought about and has brought about huge improvements in the mental health care of prisoners in the prison system. The problem he has, and he has it for the last 20 years plus, is inpatient accommodation where when he needs to take somebody from a prison into a hospital setting in which they need that type of medical care, those facilities are too limited and in many cases individual prisoners are denied the the opportunity and are not not the opportunity but the the requirement of in-hospital treatment. To see how it might be done otherwise. Uh, Philip O'Connor has been listening to our conversation, uh, an Irish journalist based in uh, Sweden. Philip, uh, good morning. Good morning, Pat. So how do they do it in Sweden? How different would it be uh, to, you know, our wheat fields, our Mount Joys, uh, our Limerick prisons, our Midland prison? How would it be different? Well, I think the big difference, Pat, is that the Swedish Prisoner Probation Service states itself that they have one goal. They say that our most important goal is to reduce recidivism, to break the cycle of crime. And basically, that's the starting point for everything in the criminal justice system here in Sweden. Now, to give you an idea, they had about 5,700 prisoners on the 1st of October last year. Two thirds of them will be serving sentences of up to to a year, 7% women. And the average age of prisoners is 36. So it's quite high compared to what government 
Conor Lonergan was saying there about Irish prisons. But what they do, or what they can boast, if you like, is a 30% recidivism rate, which is actually down 10% from the 1990s when they adopted this particular policy of ensuring that if you end up in prison, that that will be the first and the last time that you come through the door. So what do they do to ensure that uh, recidivism is minimised? What what are their techniques? How is a prisoner treated uh, compared to the way we see it in, in Mount Joy or the other Irish prisons? Uh, did they have different accommodation, different educational backup, um, different freedoms? Yeah, I think um, it, it's great to, to have John Lonergan on talking about these things because John will remember the time when Mount Joy was a very hostile environment, if we can put it that way. And though there have been improvements, I would say that Swedish prisons are probably like a, a holiday camp compared to what he had to manage at that time. So most units, and again, the figures may be a little bit, it might be one prisoner more, one prisoner left. They don't call them prisoners anymore. They call them clients, right? And many of them will live in a situation where there's eight of them in a unit. They'll be woken up at seven o'clock every morning, right, lads, up you get, Two men, or as it's often men in prison, two people in the unit will be responsible for making the food during that day. All of them will spend six hours in either training, education or treatment. One of those three things, right? So they'll be prepared then for life on the outside. They'll try to deal with the issues that got them into uh, prison in the first place, be they a lack of opportunity in the jobs market or mental health or drug addiction. And most of the people who would wind up in prison, drugs and smuggling are probably the two sort of primary causes of it. You'll obviously get murderers and violent criminals there as well. But as I said, two thirds of them would be in there for non-violent crimes to do with drugs and smuggling. Now, they come back from their training, they come back from their treatment every day. Again, the same two prisoners or the same two clients, as they call them, would have made the dinner. And then at seven o'clock in the evening, they're locked up. So they are deprived of their liberty. Uh, One young man that I know who went to prison during the pandemic described that when he heard the key turn in the lock at seven o'clock, he said, my life was just darkness until they opened the door again the next morning was how he described it to me when he came out. So there's plenty of time for self-reflection but there's also a very active process for every client who comes in to try to make sure that they don't end up there again. Now, those eight people, would they be in individual rooms? Um, You know, would they have communal showers, communal toilets? Uh, Would they be sharing rooms with each other? Because they presumably get to know each other really well, uh, given the kind of hothouse environment, eight people in a unit, and then two people make the food today. Oh, that was brutal. Um, (laughs) You know, and then two different people make it tomorrow, that was lovely, etc., etc., yeah, I, th- I mean, that's the, ho- the whole thing is to do with cooperation. It's teaching people how to get on with one another. For the most part, the prison system strives to keep them on their own. So they have a private room, a private toilet, that kind of thing. So, there's, you know, you reduce the risks of, of things of things happening, of having blank spots where the prison authorities can't see what's happening there. But it is, it's, it's quite a relaxed setup, Pat. They have quite good access to exercise. Now, unless you're either excluded by the prison authorities for violence or for disciplinary issues, or if you self-exclude due to problems with your own mental health where you want to withdraw a little bit, then you're a little bit more limited. Your exercise is limited to an hour a day because they can't simply let everybody do what they want when they feel like it. But for the most part, these units, they operate within themselves and you will have prison officers there who are there to sort of help out to ensure that these things happen smoothly. And often they'll just be, they'll be company for people. They're people with, you know, respectable jobs who have homes and families that they can talk to because as Governor Lonergan rightly said, people are often coming from broken backgrounds where the societal norms that you know the four of us are talking about here don't really exist where they come from or the situations they come from so they actually need to learn how to get on in these units and that part of that socialization process is putting them all in there together and asking them to work together so that everybody thrives now to what extent might there be gangs in prison because we know uh, 
rightly or wrongly, that uh, gang activity continues in prisons, violence can continue, drug dealing could be controlled from within prisons. Uh, you know, mobile phones are not supposed to be there. There are regular raids when those are uncovered. Uh, but the drugs barons can continue doing their business. To what extent is that culture eliminated in prison, maybe by the selection of the individuals for the eight-person units? Yeah, I think it, undoubtedly it occurs. There's always this program, and there isn't a prison in the world that doesn't have a mobile phone in it at this stage, I'm sure. And there certainly isn't a prison in the world without some sort of drugs or, or, or alcohol or something being produced within the four walls. But it would seem to me that it's quite limited if you compare it to, you know, what can happen in Brazil, what can happen in America, what can happen in Ireland. And part of that is to do with, as a part of the rehabilitation process, you're not going to put people in there with people that, you know, that, that have worked together on the street that have been part of criminal enterprises. You're going to try to separate them and put them in different, you know, maybe a different place, 100 kilometres from Stockholm or 100 kilometres from Malmo where they don't know anybody. They don't have the same power base that they would have. And a lot of, pardon me, a lot of clients that would also be in open prison. So they do have contact with the outside world. But part of that as well is that, you know, it's going back to this idea that their important, most important goal is to reduce recidivism. And sometimes you can't do that by cutting off all contact with the outside world. You have to allow them to speak to friends, to family, to their children because it seems to me Pat that the idea is it's you know you wind up in prison for something you did in your past but what they're concerned with here in Sweden is what you do in your future so rather than any sense of, of punishment or society extracting revenge that they just simply don't want this to happen again Okay uh, Philip thank you very much for that uh, rev- revelation I suppose about the prison system there uh, I'll get a comment from, from Mick first of all uh, Mick that sounds like a, a pretty effective system I'm not sure that our listeners like the idea of clients uh, one says service users I can understand but clients that's a step too far uh, but it's a system that has reduced recidivism Absolutely, Pat. And the notable thing I took from that, uh, what Philip described there, uh, to me, it was very similar to what you will see in some um, inpatient drug and alcohol treatment centres. I actually think of one in particular where I, I spent some time to write a piece on it. And it is very similar to that, whereby people are given responsibility. At the same time, they have to take uh, they have to take responsibility for what they did in the past and the aim is to ensure that they co- can come out as better people and obviously contribute to society as well. The big thing about that is that a huge number of people within prisons do suffer from addiction issues so it would strike me as an entirely progressive way of looking at things. The problem however I think is the political culture and that is one in which first of all whether governments would be willing to invest in that kind of thing and also would they be willing to do it against an environment that we constantly see whereby when it comes to the issue of crime um, many in the media and in the political world the emphasis is always on uh, punishment it's always on uh, demonizing to some extent perpetrators and that's not taking away for a second what the victims of crime are going through but you have to deal with that political culture and you also need the political will to instigate uh, investment and patience yeah. in such a system. I'm just sceptical as to whether we have that here. Yeah, one of the texters saying, what can be done with offenders uh, who have up to 300 convictions? I mean, that's uh, probably what uh, annoys a lot of people, that someone who completely offends again and again and again and again, uh, they don't want taxpayers' money spent kind of mollycoddling them, even though that mollycoddling might reduce... Uh, the crime rate. Anyway, uh, John, what do you think of the Swedish model? 
Um, I had the pleasure of, of visiting it um, in, in the early 2000s uh, when we were preparing uh, for the, for the uh, development of and the design of the, of the Dorker Centre and the women's prison. And I had spent a few days in Sweden. Uh, I suppose my biggest single observation would be, Pat, that it's not like with like. And the, the not like with like bit is are the prisoners. They are quite different in terms of their general background. The vast numbers of, of, of Swedish prisoners prisoners that I met when, when I was there, uh, both male and, and female, but in particular in the female section, they didn't seem to come from the same backgrounds. For instance, they all looked particularly well physically, not like a huge percentage of our prisoners that have, you know, all this, the, all the consequences of, of deprivation and, and drug abuse and, and, and such issues. Uh, the second thing is that we're generally well-educated, even though they were into criminality, but they were fundamentally well-educated, and that made a difference. And the public attitude in, in Sweden was quite positive in comparison to the public attitude in Ireland. So we seem to have, and, and England and Scotland would have the same issues, that the vast numbers of prisoners come from very definable backgrounds where there are high levels of addiction, poor education, poor work records, uh, and many other issues as well. And uh, the, the difficulty with that is that you don't have all the sort of basics there that to, uh, to work on to, to the motivation of the individual. Uh, to, to, at the end of the day, uh, the individual prisoner must make the decision. I don't want to continue on in criminality. And then the state should come in and support that individual. But I would, uh, my experience was that it was a lot more difficult in Ireland to get the individual person to that stage where he or she was now motivated to get away from criminality. Uh, and it's not easy in Ireland either, because when you leave prison, for instance, the aftercare supports in Ireland are almost non-existent. And, uh, and again, that's where Sweden and Denmark and countries like that were certainly way ahead of us, that they had far greater uh, support services in place like housing, uh, day centres, uh, treatment centres, all those sorts of services to help that prisoner oh. make that uh, 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 transition. Transition from more easily. John, we have to leave it there. John Lonergan, former governor of Mountjoy Prison and Mick Clifford, special correspondent with the Irish Examiner, co-author of Unlocked, an Irish prison officer's uh, story and uh, also uh, my thanks to Philip O'Connor in Stockholm.